let me now invite you to return to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look this evening at verses 1 to 11, and that will therefore be regarded as our text. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. And the title I'd like to give to our meditation this evening is Christian Fellowship. Christian Fellowship. Last week we had an introduction to the book of the Philippians. And we were left with three things. Three things that we do believe that the book would teach us and encourage us in. What were these three things? Well, the first was, in this book, we will find the secret of true joy. The secret of true joy. And secondly, we hear of one man who found the secret of true joy. Paul the Apostle himself. He was one who found this true secret of the true joy to be found in this world. And the third thing we really noticed was it all centered around Christ. Christ is the one who taught him the secret of true joy. And in our introduction we did notice, we do believe that this is what the world longs for. True joy. It's only found in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is available to all who will come to him in repentance and faith. Who will embrace him as he is freely offered to us all in the gospel. As he has freely offered to us, to us this evening in the gospel. Here we are in a place that has been set apart for the public worship of God and for the public proclamation of the everlasting gospel. Now when it says an everlasting gospel, it's a gospel that promises everlasting life to whoever will come and receive Christ, the great one who has purchased eternal life for his people. But tonight we want to start to get into the into the the book and we have here verses 1 and 2 which are basically very standard Paul's introduction to his letters. And therefore our sermon will major on the verses 3 to 11. And from these verses I want to draw three things centered around Christian fellowship. For we have this in verse 5, for instance. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is rem reminding himself of the fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. In spite of all his difficulties, and we mentioned that too in our introduction, as a prisoner in Rome, Paul was rejoicing. And Paul was experiencing Christian fellowship 
with the Philippian Christians. And friends, this is something that should be found in our own Christian experience. We should have real Christian fellowship one with another. This is what we find here. Paul, even in prison, even as he was separated from the congregation or the congregations in Philippi by some maybe 800 miles, yet he knew spiritual Christian fellowship with that congregation. And there are three things that I really want to highlight from these verses to support this Christian fellowship, something that we should stimulate ourselves to get involved in and to know in our own Christian experience. Paul uses three thoughts in these verses that I'm referring to that describe true Christian fellowship. Verses, for instance, verses 3 to 6, he says, I have you in my mind. Verses 7 to 8, I have you in my heart. Verses 9 to 11, I have you in my prayers. This was what it was for the Apostle Paul to have sincere Christian fellowship, even with those Christians who were many, many miles away from him. And because of his circumstances, yes, because of his circumstances, the fellowship was indeed strengthened, not weakened, because of what he enjoyed in the gospel. Well then, let's look at the first thing we want to highlight. In his mind. They were in or on his mind. He was ever mindful of the Philippian Christians. Now, let's just remind ourselves that in Philippi, when Paul went there with others, this was the first time that the Apostle Paul preached the gospel in Europe. We're not too long how we're not too sure how long he stayed there in Philippi. But we know he had to leave. But before he left, he had established a church. A wonderful church. A church indeed that was after a period of time, this was 10 years after this letter was written, after the formation of the church, it was still a thriving church. And they were still in his mind. He remembers there that he went and he preached the gospel. And as a result of that, Lydia was converted. And because a slave girl was converted, he was put to prison. And he remembers the experience in prison. He remembers being beaten. And he remembers the time at midnight when he was, when he was singing psalms and praying and the prisoners heard him. And an earthquake came. He remembers all of these things. But he recognizes that through these things, a church was formed. And although he had a terrible time in Philippi, he was mistreated. He, he didn't receive his rights as a Roman citizen should have received and therefore he was totally mistreated. He remembers these things, but he remembers them with delight. Why? Because it was through these things that the Lord Jesus Christ built his church in Philippi. 
And therefore, he had fond memories of the church. For instance, there in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. The hard times, they seem to have faded into the distance. They're not uppermost in his mind. What motivated the Apostle Paul was quite clear and simple. The Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel was being proclaimed. And what's more, people were being saved and brought into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, when he's in prison here in Philippi, he remembers with affection the people of Philippi. It's absolutely remarkable that he was remembering them at all, when you think of it. Here he was in prison. The events that we're referring to about the formation of the church, well, that was a decade ago at least. But here he was, in a poorly lit church, uh, prison, in a dungeon, chained, damp, cold, ill-treated, yet he remembers the church. And he remembers them with affection. He remembers them with love. He remembers the good time. He remembers when the, when the jailer came in and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And what did he say? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, you and your house. And that's what happened. And he remembers these things. And friends, these things remind him of the wonderful Christian fellowship that he had with the church at Philippi. He is encouraged that he does believe that God is still working among them. Being confident, verse 6, of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. All of these things are contributing to his remembrance of them at this particular time as he finds himself in prison. Well, as we notice Paul and the way that he behaves towards the church of Philippi, does it not cause us just to stand back and to think about the Savior? We're not here to preach Paul. Paul's not our Savior. Paul cannot save us. But surely his actions would remind us of the actions of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that long ago when we were going through the book of Luke, we came across this text towards the end of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Around the time when he instituted the Lord's Supper. And in Luke chapter 22 and in verse 28, he says of his disciples, Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. He remembered them. Now at that particular time, when he said this to them, 
Peter would go on and deny him. The others would forsake him. But the Lord focused upon the fact that come what may through his three years of ministry among them, they had remained with him. Even although their discipleship was far from perfect, when he, when he said that verse that I've quoted, they were fighting among themselves to who was the greatest. But the Lord overlooked these shortcomings. And he saw their commitment. He saw the fact that they would ultimately remain with him through his temptations. And he remembered them, their work and their labor. And this is the same Lord Jesus Christ today. He remembers his people. Paul remembers the congregation in Philippi. The Lord Jesus Christ remembers all of his people. He never forgets any one of them. We are constantly in the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. We could go to the cross itself. He could see that when he was nailed to the tree, and when the tree was raised up and put into the ground, and there he hung, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was more concerned about others than he was of himself. We could think of that time when he said, to the Apostle Paul, uh, to the Apostle John, when he was on the cross, behold thy mother. Here was Jesus, suffering pain that we cannot possibly imagine, physical, mental, and above all spiritual pain, as God was laying upon him the iniquity of his people. But he was remembering others. That's the Savior that we commend unto you. That's the Savior you are to have. That's the Savior who remembers every single one of his people. All of them are precious to him. Here the Apostle Paul, as the founder member of the church at Philippi, he remembers them with affection. They're in his mind. It surely is a, a reminder to us and a picture to a greater extent of the Savior. Oh, you might think no one cares about you. Well, friends, Jesus cares for his people. And if Jesus cares for his people, his people are to care for his people also. Do we have each other in our minds? Do we ever think of anyone else but ourselves? The world is full of People who are besotted with themselves, who are utterly selfish, and you can see it in their lives day after day. The Christian is to be different. The Apostle Paul wasn't taken up with his afflictions in prison, although he had every reason and excuse to do so. No, his mind was upon the poor believers in Philippi. They would be persecuted they would be going through the same kind of troubles that he went through. And he remembers them. They're in his mind. Can you say that, Christian? Paul could remember the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember how he wept over Jerusalem. Remember the upper... Room discourse that we find in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. 
there does he not open up his heart to his true-hearted disciples and does he not care for them does he not prepare them for what lies ahead when he shall be taken from them were they not in his mind of course they were and we bless God that he has not changed well Paul had them in his mind but verses 78 would also tell us that he had them in his heart. Verse 7, for instance, Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. What's he saying here? Well, you can have people in your, on your mind. And as one commentator said, you can have them on your mind and they can be on your nerves. But that wasn't Paul's experience. They were on his mind, but they were on his heart. It wasn't just an intellectual thing. He utterly loved them in Christ. This is what he wants to bring across to them. He loves them. He was their spiritual father and he had them in his mind but he also loved them in the Lord Jesus Christ. He simply loved them because of their relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. As he says here, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel ye are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Now the word bowels is not the same as we would associate with bowels today. The Hebrews, when they talk about bowels, it's the seat of tender affections. Paul thought about them and thought about them in a loving and a tender manner as a mother would care for her newborn child and children. That's what he wants to convey to them, that his heart is full of love and devotion towards them and he wants their highest good at all times. And this is all part of Christian fellowship. And this is something that should mark our fellowship and your fellowship one with another. Fellowship simply means to have things in common. Bankers can have fellowship. Footballers can have fellowship. Many occupations and people with hobbies can have fellowship. Why? Because they have the same interests. Same things motivate them. And they're not necessarily wrong, these things that we're referring to. But they have things in common that unite them. Well, true-hearted Christian fellowship has Christ at the very center of our fellowship. Only Christians can have Christian fellowship. 
only those who know the new birth, who have been converted, and who have an interest in the Lord Jesus Christ, can possibly have Christian fellowship. And this is something that Paul and his converts experienced. They had real fellowship. And this real fellowship revealed itself in the fact that Paul's mind was upon them and that he loved them. We want to ask ourselves this evening, do we love one another, friends? As Christians, do we love one another? It's a test. It's a mark of a Christian. We talk about the new birth. We talk about conversion. And that's fine. That's part of our experience. But here's a test. Here's a test that every one of us who professes faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that we are to ask ourselves tonight. John, 1 John, chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. John is writing to assure people of what a real Christian is. And some of the people will say, well, you can live your life any way you like. Well, no, you can't. You can't live your life any way you like. John goes on to say many things. We know, we know, we know. We're to know that we're Christians. And one of the, one of the ways that we can know we're Christians is if we have true love for the brethren. Paul had it here for his converts. He loved them. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. And he goes on. Listen to what he says as he goes on. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. There's a test for us. He was prepared, Paul. He was prepared to... Well, he was suffering for the gospel. This is what we find here. Both in my bonds and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He was where he was because of the gospel. And he was on trial because of the gospel. But it did not matter to him because he recognized that when he was on trial... He was actually benefiting the Philippians because the outcome would benefit them. He did believe that he would <clears throat> ultimately be set free. He would be found not guilty, although he says he may well die. But he did believe, this was what was on his mind, he did believe that he would be found not guilty. And therefore the gospel would progress and the gospel would win. And this victory would not only affect those in Rome where he was, but because Philippi was a Roman colony, it would actually benefit the church in Philippi. The judgment, the ruling, would have an effect that would affect the whole of the Roman Empire. And therefore, he was prepared to suffer because he loved them. He loved them. John goes on in that chapter 3 that I've quoted from 1 John chapter 18. My little children, let us not love the world, 
neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Our love is to be in truth. It's to be in deed. It's to be shown. It's to be seen. That's what he's talking about. And this is what motivated and inspired the Apostle Paul. He utterly loved his people. Peter goes on on another occasion in 1 Peter chapter 4. What does he say in verse 8 there? A verse that we'll be quite familiar with. Above all things have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. As a congregation, as Christians who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, can we say this of ourselves? Do we have fervent charity among yourselves? Paul had. And again, does this not point us to one greater than Paul? Does it not point us to Paul's master? Does it not point us to the Lord Jesus Christ? Does it not point us to him who displayed the love of God clearly when he went to the cross? There he suffered judgment. There he was condemned falsely. There the innocent was, con was condemned. But he did it because he loved his people. And that love has not changed. He loves his people with an everlasting love. And he showed it indeed. He showed it by going to the cross willingly, voluntarily, taking upon himself the punishment that was rightly due to his people. What motivated him? Well, we can obviously say it was the fact that he was doing the will of God, but we cannot discount the fact that he loved his people and that he knew he, in, in order for his people to be saved and to know eternal life, he had to undertake all that the Father laid before him. When he went to Gethsemane, it became clearer to him what was involved on the cross. It was being revealed to him, to his human nature, all that he had to undertake. And the horror of it overwhelmed him to some extent. Not my will, but thine be done. It was love. It was the Saviour's love that put him on the cross. That again is the Saviour we commend to you. Paul loved his people at Philippi and indeed he loved all his converts. But the Lord Jesus Christ loves all his people. And friends, if we want to know this love, if we want to know this love that passes 
all understanding. What must we do? We must believe upon him. He must be our Lord and our Savior. We must be able to, not just to sing, but to say, the Lord is my shepherd. We must have him. He must be ours. We must make it personal. Paul had them in his mind and on his heart. And the Lord Jesus Christ has his people upon his heart. Loved with an everlasting love. Well, the third thing to notice is from his mind to his heart, they were in his prayers. They were in his prayers. Verses 9 to 11. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. And so on. We all know that the Apostle Paul was an apostle who prayed and who knew victory in prayer. He knew answers to his prayers. He, uh, he was one who... Uh, abode in Christ and he had intimacy with Christ and therefore because of that his prayers were heard and his prayers were answered and he prayed for the Philippians. You know there are some people who tell me that they pray for me. They pray for me personally and I'm absolutely delighted to hear that. And my usual response is, well, please continue. Because we, we remember the words of the Apostle Paul that he said in, towards the end of 1 Thessalonians. Brethren, pray for us. The Apostle Paul would have the Thessalonians to pray for him and for his laborers in the gospel. Brethren, pray for us. This indeed is what any gospel minister would, would want and be happy to acknowledge that people pray for him. But do we realize, Christian, although we value that people say they pray for us and we, we're happy to acknowledge that, do we realize there is someone else who prays for us? There's someone else who prays for all of his people. It's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He remembers us. He has us on his heart and he prays for his people without fail. In the Old Testament, the high priest wore a special garment, the ephod, and it was over his heart. And on the ephod there were twelve stones and the names of the twelve tribes of Israel engraved on them. A jewel for each of the tribe. And you'll find that in Exodus chapter 28. And it was signifying that the high priest carried the names of the tribes in his work as he went about his duties. He remembered them before God. Well, it's the same for our great high priest. We have a great high priest. We have a great high priest who offered up himself as a sacrifice. But now that the sacrifice has been accepted, he now intercedes 
At God's right hand, in the heavenly tabernacle, there where he has direct access to God, and he intercedes for his people. And he has the people, the names of the people engraved upon his heart. Now these things are beyond us, but our Savior is an infinite person. And it's not beyond him. And we are to realize here, friends, tonight in Partick, if we belong to Jesus Christ, he prays for us. And this is one thing that we'll find out maybe in eternity. When the Lord prayed for us, what a wonderful blessing this is. We acknowledge when people pray for us and when they intercede for us and we're delighted. But oh, to be realized that Jesus Christ is our great high priest, he prays for us. And Paul prayed for his people, his converts at Philippi. And this would lead us and encourage us to delight and to gloat in what Jesus Christ has done. He's our great high priest. Hebrews tells us of this. Hebrews 4.14 4, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. The Hebrews were inclined at this time when the book was written to them, they were inclined to drift back into Judaism while Paul is telling them, we have a great high priest. We have a great high priest that excels all the other high priests. We have one who ministers in the heavenly sanctuary. We have one who remembers all his people. Are you going to go back into Judaism? No. Hold fast your profession. Christian, do you despair? Do you think that no one cares? Do you think that no one prays for you? Well, Jesus Christ prays for you. He never forgets. Never. People may fail us. We will fail people. But Christ will not. And Paul did not forget the Philippians. They were on his mind, in his heart, and in his prayers. And we want to challenge ourselves tonight then on a local level. Here we are. Many of us are professing faith in the Lord Jesus do we have real fellowship one with another? Do we have each other in our minds, in our hearts? Is there true love one for the other between the brethren? And do we remember each other in prayer? This is something that should be mandatory for all of us. To remember each other in prayer. To bring each other before the throne of grace. We all have a common interest, do we not? What is that interest? Surely that interest is Christ Jesus himself. His person and his work. Is that not something that should unite us? That should cement us together? We all face the same temptations and trials. We all rely upon the same Savior. We're all part of the one family of the living God, if we belong to him. That's Christian fellowship. And Paul 
even with the great distance that was between them. He knew and experienced that with these delightful Philippian Christians who had shown their care and their concern for him when they sent Epaphroditus with a financial gift to minister to his needs. There was real Christian fellowship. To know this, friends, we have to know the Savior. There's no other way. He alone gives us that cement whereby we are joined together in mind and heart and prayers one for another in Christian fellowship. Amen. And may the Lord be pleased to bless his word to us. Let us pray.